Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch Produce Market and Garden Center, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, good day, and I look forward to visiting with you today about whatever you want to talk about about plants. I suspect we'll talk about hot, we'll talk about dry, we'll talk about why are they dying. But we can talk about anything. Uh, if you got questions, give us a call at 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu i wish i had a nickel uh, for every uh, email i've received and phone call at the extension office about why is my tree dying and my answer is why are the other ones alive uh that that's kind of the the truth of it all you know i was looking in the weather data out at easterwood uh just uh yesterday and uh, this is a unique year. Uh, I'm told it's the hottest June on record. It's the hottest July on record. And July actually was also the hottest month on record, previously held by an August sometime in the past. Uh, that's amazing. Since, uh, oh, I guess uh, we've had this, you know, this summer uh, 45, I believe, uh, days over 100 degrees, and as you know, many of them well over 100 degrees. I think 111 may have even been recorded uh, this summer. Uh, and then going back to about 60 days, uh, to just after the beginning of June, going back 60 days, we have had 0.04 inches of rain, not even half of a tenth of an inch of rain, uh, essentially. Now, that's why I say, why are any of the plants alive? Uh, because, you know, that, that's just amazing. Uh, it, it impresses you on how resilient plants are. Of course, we have plants that are dying. We have areas of lawns that are dying. We have trees that are suddenly turning brown and not going to come back. Uh, we have other trees that are going to bounce back. Um, uh, the cypress trees that are popular around town, they're, they turn brown, often they turn brown uh, toward the, sometime in August, and then they begin to re leaf out again at the tips. Uh, they, they will scorch out and drop their leaves, but they're, they're not dead. Now, I mean, it could be dry enough or long enough to kill a cypress, but uh, if we get any kind of rain here at any point in time, a little break from the heat, I think your cypress, by and large, are going to be okay. Now, I realize every tree, you know, all bets are off with any one individual tree for a number of reasons, but... Uh, they're going to bounce back. Post oaks, you got a yard full of them, and one of them turns toasty brown. It looks like overnight. It's a little slower than that, but 
uh, why did the other stay green? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and uh, it, it kind of boils down to a combination of factors. Uh, I guess, you know, one, one analogy to look at it is like um, four people go to a party, and they're in a room full of 50 people, and they go around shaking hands and talking to all the people in the party, and after that, one of them gets sick, and the other three don't. Why? Well, it, there, there are a lot of factors, you know. Or what makes us likely to get sick? Are you getting a lot of rest? Are you eating right? Uh, you know, are, do you wash your hands instead of, you know, just shaking hands and rubbing your eyes and so on? Uh, there's a lot of factors. Well, with plants, they're all genetically different. Of course, true for humans as well. Uh, they're all genetically different, so that's a factor. Uh, they may be growing closer to an area with dependable moisture than another tree in the yard, or they may have been closer to dependable moisture and now there's rain gutters on the house and suddenly what was wet now is no longer wet and the tree can't overnight move its root system around. It takes time. Uh, and then there's, there's all the unknowns. Uh, but when a plant gets weak, like with a person, you're more likely to have problems with uh, illnesses. And I, I think we find, you know, with plants and trees especially, that they're pretty resilient, but when they start down, a combination of things starts to happen. We have a disease of oaks called hypoxylin canker. And in just a perfectly healthy oak, you typically don't see hypoxylin jump on it and kill it. Uh, in fact, I've been told by a pathologist that um, you can go out into oaks in the woods and, and find hypoxylin present, but the tree's okay. But when that tree gets weak, now the bark starts popping off and you and falling to the ground and you've got olive drab dusty or black tar-like or grayish uh, splotches uh, that, that are evidence of the, of the fungal presence in that tree, the hypoxylin that did that. Uh, and so why did it die? Well, maybe hypoxylin finished it off, but it began long before hypoxylin. Uh, did you build a house around the tree recently or a driveway? Did you run trenches to for an underground water line? And how close to the trunk were those trenches? And did you add soil or take soil away? What's been your watering pattern in the past? And what's your watering pattern now? You know, we a lot of people think they have to water their trees every week, and you absolutely do not. Trees. Essentially, an established tree never needs watering here. Now, when we get into a severe, long drought with hot weather like this, yes, you better water, because it's going to really weaken it, set it back, and so on. And some species, you, you have to, because they're just too wimpy. But in general, uh, a tree has a deep and extensive root system. When I say deep, I mean you know, most of the feeder roots are in the top foot, but they've got uh, some sinker roots that go down deeper and can reach lower levels of water and get them through. That's how they survive here. Um, but when we bring them into our yard and we've got our little irrigation for the lawn going off three times a week, which is way too much, uh, that shallow, frequent wetting, the, any plant is going to build a root system around dependable moisture. That's where they proliferate. And so you go from a plant that was able to survive to now the demands are greater than your little three times a week sprinkling can accomplish in terms of supplying the moisture it needs. And a tree like that dies. You know, if you look at it, post oaks live in the post oak belt, which is kind of a north-south belt uh, through Texas. Uh, and it comes through our area. And they do great out there in the wild. Of course, in the wild, 
plants die all the time, but in general they do good. We move in, put a put a yard and a house around them, and they start dying. Or maybe they they've been in your yard for a number of years. They survive the building process, uh, but then they start succumbing. And I think that our watering practices may be a part of what causes that uh, for those trees. So that's a lot of um, uh, you know words to basically say. Uh, it, it is amazing that our plants do survive conditions like this, but sometimes the way we take care of them predisposes them to some problems that we might have. And that's true of a lawn, and it's true of uh, trees and, and everything in between. Uh, with those kind of stresses, uh, getting our plants through this kind of, of weather uh, is a challenge, because now you add to it your water systems regulations and recommendations, whether you're in Bryan or College Station or out at um, a Welburn water system or, you know, there, there's water systems all around and they're in different stages uh, of restrictions. And uh, they are asking for all of us to cut back on our water use. And watering wisely is one way we cut back. And if we continue to watch our water use go up, we will, uh, no matter what water system you want, we can enter stages where you, you're not allowed to do a lot of things that you would like to do water-wise. And so we would rather avoid that. Um, and from a plant health standpoint, a lot of water is wasted and doesn't benefit the plant. And if it were applied differently, it would. So if you're a tree, a good deep soaking every two weeks, that would be maybe an inch of water. And it may take a while to get an inch of water in the ground. If you apply it all at once, most sprinkler heads put it out too fast for the soil to absorb it, especially if you have a clay soil. Uh, and so we have to water a little bit, let it soak, water a little bit, let it soak, and so on. That's true for lawns too as well, by the way. Uh, but a good soaking infrequently is kind of a rescue treatment to help them along. The the regular watering, more of your water is being lost to evaporation than, than it would be if you gave it a good soaking. Because think about this, if you have an inch of water to apply and you put it all on at once, after you've wet, let's say the grass, uh, you know, or the mulch that's on the ground or whatever, and uh, you keep applying water and then now it's moving down and going into the soil. So the latter part of your watering cycle is actually putting water into the bank account of the soil for that inch. Then that's available in the days or even a couple of weeks or more to come, depending on the location of the plant, for that plant to draw from. But if you took that one inch of water and you applied it in four one quarter inch irrigations, well, really, you've wet the grass blades and the thatch and maybe the just tiniest part of the surface of the soil, and the water goes off, and here comes another 100-degree day with sunlight and wind and all that, and that water's gone. Uh, I guess you could say you've contributed to making BCS area more humid, uh, but you haven't contributed to helping your plants. So when you water, put the water in the soil bank account with a good deep soaking, and then turn it off. And what happens then is you've wet the soil profile, and as the plants and roots pull water out of the soil, and it goes from being saturated to on its way toward being dry again, oxygen moves down in the soil in the pore spaces between the soil particles, and that also helps with a deep, resilient root system. To constantly keep the surface wet 
is it doesn't help with that. And so uh, water wisely, um, if you're under restrictions, there's a lot of things you can't do. Uh, but if you, uh, if you are not under restrictions, you have the freedom to water wisely and, and to not contribute to the problems that community-wide we're having uh, around here. Uh, and so I guess what, you know, some other tips might be things like um, uh, if you have an automatic system and when you turn it on and the whole yard, everything gets a good soaking, uh, and then you turn it off, and then as the days go by, or even a week later, you look, and the areas under the trees, the grass is still green. Even St. Augustine, which really can tolerate shade better than any other grass, uh, is green in the shade of the tree. Uh, it, the leaves may be rolling a little bit. You may you know, see the, the beginnings of water stress, uh, but it's, it's still green. Whereas out in the sun, it may have already turned toasty and tawny uh, colored. And so what you can do is rather than running the whole system every time you water, you could run your whole system. And then as it begins to dry out, maybe a hose-in sprinkler out in, in that brown spot. It's, think of it as a rescue or, or even hand-watering in small spots. Uh, just be aware that when you hand water, you think you're really wetting the soil. And in most cases, unless you water a lot and come back and water again and come back and water again, you're not getting much water down in the soil. Uh, try that out sometime. Get your thumb on the end of a hose, water, watch the things puddle up, and, and then uh, wait a minute and then go back and dig down in that spot. And I bet you see the water about a quarter or a half inch deep. Uh, it's, it's deceptive. But the rescue treatments is another way to save. You don't have to run the whole system every time you water. And remember that if everybody just cooperates, we end up all being able to water our plants and have the water we need for all the other things. You know, your landscapes, as important as they are to you and me, uh, they're low on the totem pole when it comes to being able to drink water, to flush the toilet, uh, for firefighting, and other higher priority items in the community's water needs list. And so um, I guess that's an appeal. Um, you know, at your house, at your water, uh, you do as you wish, but uh, it, just realize that it, it has an effect. And if we want to still have water to be able to save our plants, uh, we, need to, we need to be using it wisely now before we're told we, we have to water uh, only a certain way or we can't water at all. So anyway, there's a, there's a spiel on water. But it's, it's the elephant in the room. Water in 100 uh, no water in 100 degrees is, is really setting us up here. What we're going to find, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking this could be the saddest show I've ever done if I keep talking about the problems of plants. But I do want to just add one more thing. When a lawn goes through stresses, whether it's stresses from certain herbicides that we put on the lawn to kill weeds, uh, some of those stress the grass, whether it's stress from drought, uh, problems like take-all root rot can be more exacerbated. And uh, I mentioned the problem with hypoxylin canker on oak trees, uh, that when the tree is really weakened and stressed, that's when that disease tends to be a problem. Take all root rot in, in St. Augustine lawns, uh, or in certain other species of grass too, that, that's the same kind of thing. And so we're going to see effects from this drought beyond just, who did I make it till fall and now the hurricanes are coming and it's raining and things are cooling off and I got through it. We're going to see some long-term effects from this. And uh, so that's nothing we can control at this point, 
Uh, but just be aware that, that that is also a factor. And I'm going to get off of the bad news, and let's talk about some better news. Our phone number, 845, if you still want to call after all that, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U, gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I do want to mention that uh, you've heard us talk about the Master Gardening Program before. Our course this fall uh, begins the last Wednesday in August, and it goes through about the middle of November every Wednesday. And if you're interested in becoming a, a Master Gardener volunteer with uh, AgriLife Extension, you can call our office at 823 823- 0129. That's the Brazos County Extension Office, 823-0129. But don't delay. We uh, have had two information sessions. We're about, uh, there's a, a third one that we've added on coming up for folks that uh, couldn't make the first two. But uh, give a call and, and make sure your name gets on the list. You can find out more about the program at that session and decide if you'd like to apply or not uh, for it. Uh, but it's a wonderful course. We, we give you the basics of horticulture, from soil science uh, to botany, those basic foundational topics. We build on that with information about specific plants like lawns, fruit trees, vegetables, for example, and woody ornamentals. Uh, we add the peripheral things that are all part of horticulture, and that would include entomology and plant pathology that affect our plants. Uh, we'll have a session on water conservation. Uh, what a timely one that is. Uh, and we, we have a number of other uh, classes. I teach a class on finding research-based information online. We, we even have a class on a research-based uh, approach with organic gardening, for those of you who prefer to garden organically. Uh, so what, it, what does research tell us to, that informs us in how to garden organically more effectively? Uh, so the, the course covers all of that, but if you're interested, you really need to not delay because it, it won't be long and things will be closed up. Uh, but 823-0129. Uh, also, if you've tried to go to the web to watch some of the videos of past shows, uh, right now we're working on getting some things fixed. The page isn't loading up quite right. We're going to have that fixed in a minute. But you can go back, I say a minute, soon. Um, uh, you can go back and listen to past shows uh, at the website. Uh, you go to KAMU-FM website, uh, ask, uh, do a search for Garden Success, and it'll get you right there. Uh, and you can listen to past shows, or if you f have friends. I know we have folks that listen outside this area, uh, some live online, some go back and, and view the past shows. Uh, let's see, we had a question come on email from Glenn. Glenn has a lace bark elm, uh, and the, the leaves have little yellow tips, and it's just the ends of the leaves, and uh, that is not a, a cause for concern. This is a fairly recently planted plant, and I'm I'm very impressed that it's in as good a shape as it is, considering the the weather and stuff we've had. You've been taking good care of it. Don't worry about that. Plants are are very resilient, and uh, that that is not a concern. Just uh, be be cognizant of you want to keep the root system moist for this fairly newly planted plant. 
that doesn't have the extensive root system yet, uh, but without overwatering, keeping it too soggy wet. But that would not be something to be concerned about. Uh, we had a question that came in from uh, Donna on hyacinth bean. Donna planted a bean that uh, she thought was a different kind of bean, and it grew a very vigorous vine and produced these uh, beautiful, I, I would call them pink, but I think there's probably another better name for that color. It's kind of pink, pink with a bluish tint. What do y'all call that? Anyway, uh, flowers. And someone told her, those are hyacinth beans. They're poisonous. Don't eat them. Well, she had eat, eaten them already. Uh, but uh, they're not hyacinth bean. Uh, hyacinth bean has a very long bloom stalk. I mean, it, it it blooms and the tip keeps growing and it keeps blooming. And you may have, you know, a foot-long bloom stalk out there uh, on the hyacinth bean. The pods on hyacinth bean are purple. These pods are not. Uh, and if you if you see the seed, and by the way, hyacinth bean is a wonderful ornamental, a very beautiful long bloom stalks. Uh, so if you if you have room for a vigorous annual vine that grows from seed, uh, hyacinth bean is is a nice one to have. Uh, but the seeds on hyacinth bean are black, and the edge on one side is white. It it's just like it has a white rim around a black half of a black seed. And, and so uh, that's real distinct and easy. Now, as far as edible, the information out there is just so conflicting. And even within a website, uh, you will find conflicting information. For example, uh, pretty reputable sources will say, well, if you cook the beans, you got to pour the water off uh, twice. It's almost like cooking pokeweed, poisonous pokeweed, to make it edible. Uh, then other sites will tell you, no, these seeds are used in Asian cuisine, Thai cuisine, Indian cuisine. Uh, they're baked, and all the mature seeds are used and things like that. Uh, so I guess there's better beans to plant to eat. And if you want to do the research online and figure out can you eat them or not and how, uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say too much about that uh, because I'm not a uh, specialist in poisonous glycosides and other things and, and plants. But uh, they, are, uh, they are eaten in some cuisines, and I don't know all the details of that. I'm told that cooking is, is very important in that, in that process. That's an important thing. But I would, if I were hungry, I would not plant hyacinth bean. There's a lot other good beans that you could you could grow, including some of our vining summer peas. Uh, the uh, you know everybody knows what a black-eyed pea or a purple hull or a crowder or cream peas are, and some of those vine quite a bit. And then there's the things called yard-long beans that are actually kin to the black-eyed pea rather than the green bean. Uh, a closer kin. And uh, those are hot weather tolerant peas that vine and produce pods that you can eat the pods or shell the seeds if you want to do that. So that I would go with something like that. Our phone number 845-5689-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, Marilyn sends a picture of a volunteer tree coming up under our foundation uh, down in Houston, a relative's house. And uh, what is it and how to kill it? Uh, well, it's a willow, and willows are one of those trees that loves to volunteer in all kinds of places. Uh, we have certain species, uh, certainly Chinese tallow is that way, uh, hackberry definitely that way, uh, and willow too will pop up uh, in different places. The best way to kill a woody ornamental is to dig it up and get all, and get the main part of the root system. 
Now, sometimes that's not feasible in the case where it's growing literally beside and they think maybe even under the foundation. Uh, that That is not that feasible. So if you cut off any kind of a woody or a woody plant, so it could be a poison ivy stem that's now become a woody trunk, or it could be um, a hackberries or, or some brush or whatever, and you immediately I, I say paint, it, it's really dab a product containing triclopyr on that cut surface. It tr translocates down in there and it almost always kills it. Sometimes you have to do a second treatment. Uh, but you're not spraying things, you're not getting it over desirable plants. You could have a rose bush right next to it. And as long as you just dab the freshly cut surface with a little bit of the product containing triclopyr, uh, that'll work. Now ranchers have versions of it they use. If you're a home gardener, look for things called poison ivy and killer or brush be gone or other things. But T-R-I-C-L-O-P-Y-R is the ingredient. Uh, and just, I use the little foam brushes like some people use to paint. Uh, and you can just dab it in there and dab it right on the surface and then throw the brush away. Uh, and that works pretty good. And that'll get rid of those uh, woody ornamentals uh, pretty well. So hopefully that will uh, help. Our phone number is 845-5689. And the email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And let's go to the phones now and talk to David. Hello, David. Hello, Skip. Thought I'd give you a little break from your monologue here. Thank and, you. Uh, the listeners are cheering. <laughs> well, I don't have anything too earth-shaking, but I will say that I'm in the uh, Welburn Water District, and I was at the uh, Feast of Caring yesterday talking to the College Station Fire Chief, and he is, he is, too, in the same water district. And we were commenting about we're at stage three now, yes. which is one day a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, and in a previous show, you were puzzled, as was I. Uh, I've, I didn't call in that day, but you were talking to Jennifer, whatever her name is, with College Station about yes. How it appeared to say you could not water in the middle of the night, and that didn't seem to make right. a lot of sense. Well, mm -hmm. sure enough, this stage three is very clear. The only time you can water is after 9 p.m. or before 5 a.m. Mm. And he and I both agreed, yes, that makes a lot more sense. That's that's yeah. you know, he, that's the low demand, yeah. and that's when it ought to be watering. So right. apparently there was a lot of confusion on that, and uh, so... That at least reinforces what I've thought all along, and I think you were sort of thinking as well, that uh, it does make more sense to set your timers to go off in, during the nighttime instead right. of when everybody else is using water. So so I wanted to pass that along. I don't know, you know uh, as far as the other stages go, whether they have different rules but, mm -hmm. but that that's certainly he and i agreed made that makes a whole lot more sense so yeah uh, and that's when my timers are set you're gonna go up in the middle of the night okay well that's yeah that's good uh good to know i think uh, maybe what i ended up finding out was maybe the you know the water supplies are getting replenished you know up into yeah, the tower or whatever what jennifer said yeah. during that time and and you know, so I mean, if one person or two people did it, it wouldn't it wouldn't affect that. But if everybody watered in the middle of the night, it, it'd be hard to catch up and be ready for the next day. Uh, right. So, well, uh, I, I sort of understand that, except that it seems even worse to be trying to water during the day. If a fire breaks out, as he said, you've got a fire or something. Well, then the water system is really in bad shape. Yes. Yes, it may be replenished, but how much? 
how long does it take to replenish a water tower? I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that, and so there's still some mystery there, but but that it didn't say anything at all. I mean, no other time to water other than the middle of the night. So I just thought mm-hmm. that's that along. There there may be more to the story. I'm not claiming yeah. to know all the information. Only other thing is just sort of was surprising to me, although I've not really the first time I've accomplished, I've done this, but you know, you've already talked about the heat. Uh, this is this goes in the category of I bet you didn't know that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Got collard greens that I planted uh, probably uh, last fall, mm-hmm. and had some good collard greens during the winter. Well, they're still I, I'm keeping them alive, and I just a few days ago picked some nice young leaves. Uh, I had delicious collard greens just a few days ago, growing in this heat. So wow! Now you say don't, delicious. Don't give up on your collard greens. <laughs> did did were they stronger flavored? Then your no, your no, winter color? No, they were mild. Now I got the younger leaves, but they were mild. They were did not have the slightest bit of bitterness. Well, to them. so that's that's interesting. I've got kale plants that are almost chest high now, and they're still going too. And mm-hmm. uh, but but the they are stronger. Uh, my right. kale is mm-hmm. it's got that cruciferous family pungency, mm-hmm. you know, kind of background to it, and and they're a little bit stronger. But hey, that's good to know. I appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I just, you know, I just keep uh, a reasonable amount of water on them, and, um, and of course, if I don't, they wilt real bad, of course. Yes. And, uh-huh. um, uh, but, but so, and I, I have done that where I've actually had the same plant for, I think, at least two full years, and of course, they got real long and, yes. and snaky looking, but, but yeah. uh, and of course, they do bolt eventually, but, but if I, if I break all that off, or, you know, they do seem to start putting on regular leaves again after even after bolting it's not like i have to pull them up so i've just passed it along it's not the most interesting news a lot of people don't even like collard greens when they taste good but <laughs> my wife but in fact whenever i cook them especially the stronger ones she says you're, you're stinking up the house again so, uh, <laughs> so. all right well david so, thank so, you thank you for sure, the... not, not the most not the most fascinating news to give you but i thought i'd give you a break oh no it's good thank you and i'm like i said i'm sure listeners are glad to for the monologue to stop a little bit <laughs> no 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 you're doing great thanks Bye. take care all right we're going to go back to the phones again 845-5689 and talk to gene hello gene hello skip i've got a question about my lawn okay typically about this time of year i put some fertilizer on with the heat and the drought, is that a good or a bad idea right now? I wouldn't do it, and it's not necessary. If you're returning clippings and have been through all your mowings, those things are decomposing. That is, the clippings are a, are a, the fastest part of the grass plant to decompose. Runners are much slower, and roots can be slower, but uh, the clippings are releasing those nutrients back into the soil, and uh, you don't the last thing the grass needs now is to be encouraged to grow more uh, okay. and excessive amounts of nitrogen promote top growth at the expense of root growth and so you i wouldn't i would say you don't need to fertilize at all uh, if you want to do a fall fertilization then that would be something in early october maybe uh, that okay. you would do perhaps okay. I, I typically done in the past in september yeah. but yeah you could do late september too. i mean it's not a it's not a black and white line there yeah. but uh, it, mo- if if I were, of course, with the drought, you know, lawns are looking bad, and so people are thinking, well, maybe I do need to fertilize. But it's not yeah. the lack of nutrients that's the problem. 
Uh, and so I would, I would definitely hold off on that. Okay, because I was afraid that even if I did fertilize, I would cause the lawn to burn even more than it already has. Uh, you could with salt-based synthetic type fertilizers. If you over-apply them, you, you could do that. And okay. uh, the, the, um, the grass, just, it, it's just trying to survive right now. I know. Okay. Now, when I do fertilize, in the past I've used Scots with the iron and sulfur mm -hmm. in it. Uh, is that a good one to use here, or would I be better off going to producers and getting theirs? I don't even know what their composition yeah. is. Yeah, so, so I wouldn't recommend any brands or anything like that. Uh, I would say that the best answer to your question is have your soil tested, look at what's already there, and then buy a fertilizer that applies what's not there. Uh, okay. already. You may have super high phosphorus or you may need phosphorus. Uh, so in general, I recommend fertilizers with a 3-1-2 ratio or a 4-1-2 right. ratio, but uh, that is, you know, yard to yard, that may be a very inappropriate recommendation. And so uh, I, would, I would do the soil test. But in absence of that, I would go with something especially as we move into fall, if you want to do a, a fall fertilization, you want some nitrogen and you want some potassium because their uptake is related. And the potassium especially is also helping with some of the development of the winter hardiness, although we're not, a, the, we're not on the cold end of St. Augustine's range. But it does, creating a strong plant going into winter means your grass comes out stronger in the spring. Okay. Uh, so, okay. yeah. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Yes, sir, Gene. Appreciate Thank you. It. Yeah, I appreciate you. All right. Well, let's go back to the um, emails. And uh, Fang had some questions about roses. Uh, sent a number of, of photos and uh, had, I think they had applied a fertilizer that had a lot of phosphorus in it, uh, in, in the roses. Uh, when you look at the pictures of the roses, and I know this is a radio, uh, but imagine a green rose leaf that's uh, yellow and brown around the edges. The tip and the margins of the leaf are brown. Now, when you see that kind of pattern, that's typically not a disease. That's not a disease of the leaf. Something is preventing moisture from making it all the way through the plant. The, ed, the tip and margin of the leaf is the last part to receive moisture. If you over-fertilize with a salt-based fertilizer, which most synthetics are going to be salt-based, the, the uh, salt moves through the plant, and when the water transpires out of the leaf, it leaves those salts behind, and you can get a burn from over-fertilizing with one of those kind of fertilizers. The, the symptoms on the rose also show new growth that's very uh, almost yellow and lacking color. And that could be related to excessive phosphorus. Uh, when pH is high and phosphorus is high, iron becomes unavailable. The iron is there in your soil, but it changes to a form the plant can't take up and utilize. And so we generally don't overdo the phosphorus. Again, you know, the, the first answer to all fertilizer questions is, have you tested your soil? 
uh, because that really is what should guide what we do in terms of fertilizing. Uh, in general, uh, phosphorus is important for plants. Potassium is important. Magnesium is important. We have se we have 17, I think, it's 17 different nutrients that are needed by plants. Some, like one or two of them, maybe just uh, under certain situations or certain kinds of plants that really need that, especially uh, or certain parts of the plant development process. But in general, they're all important. So even something as tiny uh, in terms of the quantity needed as boron or ma manganese, for example, if there is absolutely none, the plant can't live and grow and survive. Uh, and and you ne you're never going to hear me say go fertilize the boron or fertilize the manganese. There is plenty out there. And as you add compost, as you have mulch that decomposes, uh, all, the, all that plant tissue had to have had those nutrients in order for the plants to grow. So now when it rots back and goes back into the soil, the nutrients are going back with it. And so uh, we don't worry about all those, but just know that when we um, misfertilize, we can create nutrient problems. And uh, I don't know that that's what's causing the yellowing on the roses, but it could be. It could be part of the factor for it. So I would hold off on the high phosphorus for sure. Uh, I don't know exactly, you know, depending on where you are in your soil, sandy clay, so on, uh, you, you may or may not already have plenty of phosphorus, but uh, that's, that's what I'd recommend on that. And so the margin and tip burn, that's going to be a water-related thing. Uh, so in roses, it could be that it got too dry. Uh, it got too dry. Or it could be that something else affected that flow through a plant. So if something kills the root tips, like soggy wet, oversaturated conditions, which I doubt that's the problem this year, uh, and you get root death, then that can be followed by certain kinds of things like a drought injury appearance or a nutrient problem because the roots have been lost. So nutrients are there, roots aren't there to take them up. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of factors in there. I think this is water-related on those. Uh, an email from uh, Rosina and Thomas. Uh, ask about soil testing, and I'm going to answer that uh, in a broader way because I, I keep promoting soil testing. And uh, so when you have your soil tested, when you want to have your soil tested, I don't recommend going and buying the little store-bought uh, kits or maybe you buy them online. Uh, the accuracy of those is not as good as a lab that is hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment doing truly accurate testing. Of, of, of things. Uh, the type of the, the uh, process that's used to test for this or that nutrient, uh, depending on the kind of soil you have, certain kinds of extraction techniques would work better than others. And so leave that to the decade, decades of research and PhDs that, that live in, 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 in sleep soil chemistry uh, and, and spend just the very reasonable cost on having a soil test. You don't need it every year, just once once in a while. Uh, check it out, or you're putting in a garden in a new area, have that done. Uh, and that's what I would, would recommend. Now, how do you have your soil tested? Well, you go online to soiltesting.tamu.edu. Soiltesting.tamu.edu. And uh, soil testing is one word. There is a form for an urban soil test. 
as opposed to the standard soil test would be like for a farm or a ranch kind of soil. This is a soil that's going to have St. Augustine or roses or vegetables or fruit in it. Uh, and so uh, urban soil test form, print it out, fill it out. The instructions on how to take the sample are there and the instructions on where to mail the sample are there. Since uh, listeners here are primarily local, you can drive it over and drop it off at the lab if you don't want to mail it. The lab is is uh, behind the vet school uh, and uh, it, it's um, if you come in off of Wellburn, where the large oil tanks are across the railroad tracks, it's going to be the first building you see after the stop sign on the right. So I don't know if how much that uh, helps, but um, uh, you can you can find the address on the soil test uh, form and take it and drop it off yourself there uh, with the payment that is required for the type of test you have done. For most situations, a vast majority, a standard regular soil test is all you need. You can do a soil test that also looks at micronutrients or a soil test. There's all kinds of versions of a soil test. The standard is almost always just fine unless we're troubleshooting a very unique problem. I, I would just start with a standard uh, soil test. Uh, so take the soil sample that's representative of the root zone of the plant. So you don't want to scoop the soil off the surface because roots go down. And, and so we try to take a soil sample about six inches deep to get a good uh, example of what's down in the soil. You don't want to take it all in one place. Uh, maybe it's your yard and you know how you have those green spots in the yard where Fido stopped last fall and, and yeah. So that would not be a very representative spot to do a soil sample. So we take it from a number of places, mix it in a bucket, a clean bucket, not one that just had fertilizer in it, uh, and uh, then take about a pint of soil out of the bucket and send that into the lab for analysis. Again, the form tells you how to take the test, but the lab can tell you what's in the soil they receive. You need to make sure the soil they receive is what's representative of the root zone of the plants you're going to be growing. So hopefully that makes sense. So if you're looking at a larger area and over here the grass grows well, over here the grass doesn't grow well, take two samples separate. Don't mix those together because, again, the average doesn't tell you what's going on in those two different types of areas. So uh, hopefully that helps. Hey, let's go back to the phones now and talk to Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. Hi. The, the soil information was really helpful, too, because I have those same questions. Oh, I was just so. droning on about water for the first part of the show, so I don't know. If <laughs> yeah, I, I heard Wellburn in Stage 3, and I heard my name, and I, we, I was talking with two other people in my office about our water issues and mm -hmm. I kept saying wait a minute wait a minute I need to hear what they're saying over there so oh, that was a, that was a, anything I could clear up yeah that was a caller uh just uh calling in and we uh making some comments about you know the thing of why do we not water tell everybody to water at night and uh you know we we discussed I think what you had said before about uh we're recharging the towers and and things like that at that mm -hmm. time uh but anyway I think believe he indicated that Welburn was saying 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. or something. Yeah, it's 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. for them, okay. uh, yeah, for their watering windows. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, had had, I had just said, you know, midnight to 10 a.m. and um, 6 p.m. to midnight on the same day just to keep okay. people watering on the same day for us. Okay, good. Um, but again, you know, it's voluntary. We had an issue, well, and we still kind of have an issue with when 
we have like drain and fill cycles throughout the day with our water towers mm-hmm. and, and and we're still seeing it in the mornings a lot as and especially with our Greensbury tower because that's the part of town that has the newer neighborhoods with the irrigation systems and uh, that tower just drains really fast in right. the morning. So that's okay. why I was suggesting, you know, watering in the evening. I know that sometimes that's an, a concern with fungal diseases, but I think when it's 100 degrees at 9 o'clock at night, we're not worried about that so much. Right. Yeah, that we have bigger <laughs> bigger issues than, than that. Uh, but again, it, and I, I've got an article tomorrow in the Eagle uh, talking about the heat and the drought and everything. Uh, oh, good. But, but miswatering by light frequent sprinkling is more yeah. of our fungal problem than than just just watering at night is so okay uh yeah so um well any i i know the use seems to continue to go up right mm-hmm. yeah college station has just been we've just kind of been cruising along at about 24 or 25 million gallons a day for the past month so our usage hasn't it it dips occasionally but it's kind of been really steady mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if people are just not you know not, i know that some people are um complying because they tell mm-hmm. me um but i and we still get re- frequent reports of businesses or homes or somebody irrigating in the middle of the day or you're getting a lot and yeah. I, I just think people are concerned about it's so hot it's so dry and so they're just like increasing their irrigation yeah. when yeah. I have been following the two days per week, the yeah. deep and frequent soaking, and I've got some sprinklers that are in need of repair, but the parts of the grass that are getting water are doing fine. I, I was uh, curious about something and that I mentioned in the the article tomorrow uh, that there all the things that we can do to help. And Good. one of them was uh, to have your system uh, checked out. And I know you guys on the website, uh, maybe, I don't know, is it the BV Water Smart or is it the College Station website where you have the thing of you can get um, an analysis of your system? Or I'm probably not using the right word there. The, a, a checkup. Yeah, that's checkup. on the College Station website. Is that something y'all are even able to get around to doing right now with all else going on? Or, or yes. Not? No, I'm, I'm doing my best to... Um, get to people's requests. I'm kind of prioritizing the people who've called in and said that they have a high bill okay. or the people who, uh, if you know you have a really high bill if you get the letter from College Station Utilities that says, hey, and we don't send those out for everybody, but if it's an extraordinarily high bill, you'll get a letter saying, okay. hey, yeah. we read your meter and we didn't believe it, so we read yeah. it again. And <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah. So we yeah we definitely can do that because there's I, I helped a customer out last week that had like four start times and one yeah. pro and two programs and so. Well, good. I'm glad okay. to know all that. Well, thank you. I appreciate you calling in and uh, just keep us posted and we'll we'll keep hanging on. Uh, I've tried yeah. different rain dances, but I haven't found the right one yet. So. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right, our phone number is 845-5689. We're going to go to uh, Kimberly now. Hello, Kimberly. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, I know this sounds like a broken record, but um, I still have a watering question. I'm one of these okay. poor individuals that is under Wixon water, yes. and I have a new lawn. Um, we are not allowed to water at all unless we use hand sprinklers or soaker hoses. Okay. Um, I'd say 75% of my yard was already dead a month ago, but what I'm noticing trying to use a soaker hose, um, very infrequently. In fact, this was week was the first week I did that. 
The water is pooling. So I'm sure the soil is very poor quality and I do need to have it analyzed. But is there anything to recommend that would help that or is it just too late until we can apply top dressing? You said the water is pooling? On it doesn't really seem to soak in. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even with a soaker. Um, yeah. That's what really surprised me. I, I, I knew with the sprinkler system that, you know, that wasn't as surprising, but yeah. I noticed with the soaker hose and it may just be that it, I don't know if it's too dry uh-huh. or if it's just the quality of the soil. It, it, well, clay, from clay to sand across that spectrum, uh, the clays are, are slow. Uh, I, I One time I was looking into one of the soil types called Houston black clay. It's found all along the Gulf Coast and over even toward Austin. And, and uh, I think that they said that a, like an eighth of an inch an hour is how much water that that clay alone can take in. Now, when you got plant roots and other things, it, you know, it speeds things up a little bit. But um, I think maybe the soaker hose may be putting it out faster than I'm imagining. Uh, and so that would be one possibility. Uh, aerating at some point, don't do it mm-hmm. now. Uh, yeah. But uh, aerating to uh, would also help, you know, to kind of open up that soil. When you aerate, you get some organic matter down in the the holes that are created, and uh, and that might help a little bit. Um, I don't know. We just have to figure out why. Now, now sodium, which is present in a lot of our water systems at pretty high levels, uh, that causes a clay to not uh, to tight. I will say tighten up. In other words, it. It, it's not a loose, uh, uh, friable structure. Instead, it, it just sort of holds water more. And uh-huh. so as we overwater, we are then adding to the sodium problem, mm-hmm. which both creates sodium, which has a soil structure effect, but it also raises the pH of the soil, which has a not-so-good-for-plants effect. And so uh, if the area has been watered a lot in the past, then that could be a factor. But if this is new construction kind of thing, then that's, the sodium is probably not already a problem there. There was a problem, I'm sure, with overwatering because I didn't have anyone who would check the sprinkler system. Um, mm-hmm. College Station, that's only if you live in their city limits. Okay. And it was getting watered under four cycles, and I did not know that okay. until one morning when I discovered it was still on at 8 a.m. and I had a yeah. extremely high water bill. Yeah. It didn't help the greenness of the lawn at all. So okay. I could see where that might have contributed. Okay. Well, so. I would I would just slow soak where you can, when you can. Uh, okay. It's, it's kind of hard to water a whole lawn by hand and get a good slow soaking. There, I mean, yeah, you would pretty much be out all day trying to water. Yeah. Uh, right. And so the, the soakers are, are fine. Uh, just, I don't know, maybe they need moving around a little more. Uh, and then come back to that spot and water again. Uh, that is about all I know to tell you, and I know that's not okay. good news. Because really, until it we get some rain, top dressing or aerating, none of that is 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 advised right now. Correct? No, that's a longer term. You know, yeah. if you've got a bad thick clay and these issues we've talked about, or or what's going on, then uh, some top dressing and some aerating can over time help improve that but okay. the plants themselves improve the soil you know every, grass roots live about a year so so you got a, a grass root goes into the ground it pushes the soil apart 
and eventually it dies and all that organic matter is now in the soil that that was the root and then here comes another root growing there's constantly new roots coming on and old roots dying and in a cycle and it builds the soil so just getting your grass plants healthy goes a long way toward improving the soil and its ability to take in water okay all right okay well, thank you we'll just keep praying for rain yeah good idea thank you kimberly bye. appreciate bye-bye Let's see, we're going to go back to the emails, and I'm not probably going to get to all your emails today, but we'll try. Uh, uh, Brooks uh, asked an interesting question. How long do roses live, especially Knockout and Caldwell Pink? Uh, they've been, he's got some that have been around 24 years. Uh, that's, that's a nice rose bush. The, the answer to how long roses live is kind of like the answer to how long do plants live uh, in general. It it varies and often as plants get older the cumulative issues over the years can lead to that plant's demise it's not like they get a certain age and they just they just die uh, and but there are ranges some plants tend to of course be shorter lived than others uh, but roses there's a rose in uh, tucson arizona that was hauled out there i'm told on a buckboard wagon by a bride in the 1800s and it's still alive uh, at one point uh, they well they have a huge structure it's a lady banks rose so it's a climber and that is huge structure to hold all the branches of it that covered a quarter of an acre so imagine that uh, so how long can they live well we don't know yet that rose is still alive but uh, they do live a long time and uh, it, it, it comes down to the care of the plant. Uh, if it's a grafted rose, that's a little different than if it's a rose on its own roots. Uh, I would think a rose on its own roots may do a little bit better for longer uh, than a grafted rose would. Uh, but Knockout and Caldwell Pink the, probably are on their own roots. I'm not as sure about the Knockout as I, as I would be about the Caldwell Pink. But... Um, I would say a long time. Keep taking care of them, and hopefully they'll they'll keep going. I had a question come from Lisa uh, about organic ways to control grubs in the lawn. Uh, grubs are are a, a challenge. They they come out, and we have the June bugs. We call them June bugs. They fly around. You see them at your porch light at night. Uh, then they mate. They lay eggs. The eggs hatch out into tiny larvae that feed near the surface and then as the weather gets really hot they move down deeper into the soil and so we want to find the time when they're near the surface where anything we use synthetic organic or whatever would be able to get to them and then uh, but before they move down too deep but we also want them all to hatch out so we don't treat and then a whole bunch more hatch out and have to treat again there are some entomopathic nematodes, uh, nematodes that go inside an insect and kill it. You would have to get a good drench of water with those and catch the grubs when they're right up near the surface. Um, uh, that would be an organic option to help suppress uh, the grub uh, themselves. Also know that a few grubs is not a problem. Uh, I think it's five to seven per square foot. Uh, that where we call that the threshold where you need to do something about it and in most cases you're not going to have that many and so it, it from an organic standpoint it would just be don't worry about it uh, it's going to be okay until it hits that that threshold I would think there's probably a pyrethrum based insecticide um, that would be also 
uh, effective on the grubs. I would have to look that up, Lisa, to be sure, but that would be an organic uh, on it. Uh, I don't know if the spinosad-based insecticides would work on grubs, but that would be another one I would look into uh, to, to see if it has grubs on the label uh, for it. Spinosad is also an organic option uh, for that. But I'd, I'd need a little more um, searching before I would, would tell you, yes, go buy this product and, and it'll fix it for you. But hopefully, hopefully that, that uh, helps. Uh, let's see. Uh, had uh, David uh, emails and he has a question. Uh, he's not really worried about his lawn, but he has a wooded lot, and uh, some of the trees uh, are uh, the trees are native and around 10 years old or, or so. Uh, he's got some elms that have several branches going brown, a post oak that went all brown, a yopon that's half brown. Uh, and a magnolia that's dropped half its leaves. Well, the magnolia is not real happy with this at all. Uh, and so that one, I don't know. It, it it may come back in parts of it. And the question will be then, is it still an aesthetically acceptable plant if it survives but loses sections of the plant? Elms are pretty tough. If it's a native elm, it's probably, uh, it could be a cedar elm. It could be a winged, a kind of a winged type elm. Uh, or there are some others. Uh, they probably will bounce back if they're not too young. Uh, the the post oak that goes all brown, I don't expect to have it come back. And then the yopon, again, those are pretty tough, but they have a, they have an underground system where you may lose an above ground part, but then get some resprouting later, uh, coming up out of the ground, David. So, uh, not much you can do in a woodlot area, wooded area. You're not going to run a sprinkler out there. Uh, to save them, so you, you just kind of a wait and watch. Uh, about the only thing in your control is don't add insult to injury by, uh, you know, going in there with equipment and compacting the soil or trenching or doing any other thing like that, which I, I'm sure you're not intended to do anyway. Uh, but hopefully that uh, would help out a little bit on that as well. Uh, I want to remind the, remind you that if you're interested in uh, applying for the Master Gardener course, with our, we have one more information session coming up, but you need to call the Extension Office at 823-0129, 823-0129 to get more information and find out when the session is. Uh, and in that session, you'll find out more about the course, the dates. It, it actually begins the last Wednesday in August and goes through about the middle of November every Wednesday. And it is just a lot of information by some of the best, in my opinion, the best teachers in, in Texas. Of course, we're right here on the footsteps of the university and have access to some wonderful folks that really know their stuff. Well, I appreciate you listening today. Uh, it's a good time to be inside, right? Uh, so I hope you join us again next Thursday. We'll be back from 12 to 1 as always. Tell your friends about the radio show, and uh, hopefully they'll join us as well. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. 
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch Produce Market and Garden Center, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.